going to be going to, I'm personally going to be going actually to the Boston Rescue Mission downtown. That's a homeless shelter. And we're going to help to serve uh, dinner on Christmas Day. Have you ever opened up all your presents and felt just a little dirty after doing it? Like, oh man, this is like present gluttony, you know, and uh, I, I have, I have from time to time, particularly with five kids, and somewhere along the way, I, the, the, the amount of presents underneath the tree, I, it was just mind-boggling. So we needed, we had to cut off over the years. We needed to start limiting that. But um, we have done this in the past, and it's a blessing. Greg, is there a age limit? I mean, I wouldn't drink, I guess maybe kids 10 and over or something, I wouldn't. Okay, kids 10 and over is what we recommend. I uh, can't emphasize enough the importance on instilling in your children service, getting out of their comfort zone and serving. And so if you have a child over 10, maybe that is something that uh, you can think about. But we're going to be there. We need people, even if you can't go, to make desserts for these men and women. You know, they're there in a homeless shelter on Christmas, so it is a sensitive situation. They're not with family. They're in a homeless shelter. There's a bunch of people they don't know. And so uh, it's sensitive, but we, we, we do want to try to, in a sensitive way, bring Christmas there. So we're going to be singing songs. But if you can make a dessert, even if you can't be there, Greg, we're going to bring them here to the service on Sunday morning, right? Make sure you cover them with saran wrap. We can put them in the back so people aren't munching out on them after the, the service. Uh, and we're going to be bringing them. But I'd love to have you come along. Pastor Greg is also going to be there. My son Sam's going to be. And I'd love to have you come along. So there's a sign-up in the back. There's also going to be a sign-up that goes out online. That's next Sunday from 3 to 6.30. Okay, the book of John, we're going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You could rise for the reading of God's word. John chapter 1. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, just raise your hand. Nice and high. We have a couple Bibles here. Over here, here. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, good. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, not to be confused with the John who wrote this, this, this letter, this book, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now skip down to verse 35. Again, the next day, John stood with with two of his disciples. And looking, 
at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who, who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Joseph. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Well, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, the Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Lord, that is your word. And I pray by the Holy Spirit you would open up our hearts to it. Lord, that our hearts would be exposed, that our hearts would be warned, encouraged, built up, blessed, changed. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, lead us to that further place of surrender and joy this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So for the book of John, for the first time we see Jesus interacting with people. We haven't seen that up to now. What happens? What does he do? What does he do to them? What does he do for them? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Up to this point, we've been looking at John the Baptist. He's introducing the world to Jesus. Up to this time, Jesus had been unknown to the world. It's kind of amazing to think of that. 
I myself, I've traveled all over the world. And wherever you go, you meet people who know about Jesus. Sometimes, in some places, every single person you meet has heard about Jesus. But there was a time where he was unknown. And John the Baptist, he's introducing Jesus to the world in John chapter 1. So far, he has declared four things about Jesus. At this time, the time of the events that we're reading about this morning, four things already John had declared to the world. Number one, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. John talked a lot about that. The Messiah, the Christ, he, who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, the Messiah who would come to judge the world and to establish a kingdom in the world. We don't see a lot about that here in John chapter 1, but John the Baptist sure talks a lot about it in uh, Luke and in Matthew. In Luke chapter 3, verse 17, uh, this is what he declares to the people as they're coming out to him. He says this of Jesus. This is John the Baptist uh, 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 speaking here. His winnowing fan is in his hand. The winnowing fan, that's a the symbol of judgment there. He's speaking of, John the Baptist speaking of Jesus. And he will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor. The threshing floor was a threshing floor of wheat. Where there's wheat, but the wheat is divided from the chafe. The chafe is the stuff that is uh, unusable. And, it's, and, and, and in a threshing floor, they threw up the wheat, the good stuff, and the bad stuff blew away. And, and, and what John the Baptist is saying here, he's saying, again, he's going to clean out that threshing floor. He's going to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Eek! This is John speaking about Jesus in the book of Luke. Also, same quote in the book of Matthew. So number one, John the Baptist, when he introduces the world to Jesus, introduced him as the Messiah, the judge. Number two, he introduces him as the Son of God. We just saw that in Luke, I mean in John chapter 1, verse 34. It says, I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. That he is the Son of God. Sorry for the typo there. I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. Number three, John the Baptist introduces Jesus as the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John had been dunking people under the water. Baptism in the Greek, it means immerso, immersion. He'd been putting them all the way under. They came out, they're confessing their sins, their repentance. He baptized with water. But in John chapter 1, verse 31 and 33, he says, I came, I came baptizing with water. I've been baptizing you with water. But this is he, speaking of Jesus, who baptizes by the Holy Spirit. And then finally, number four, when John introduced Jesus to the world, at this point, he had, he, he, in, in how he's introducing him, Finally, he introduces him as the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world. John 1, 29. So, we come to verse 35. Jesus has no followers. There are no disciples of Jesus at this time. John the Baptist has followers. In verse 35, we read, again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now, we're going to find out that these two disciples, one is Andrew, and almost certainly the other one, it's not named, but almost certainly the other one is John himself who wrote this letter. Not John the Baptist, but, but John who wrote, this, who wrote this gospel, wrote this book. It says again in verse 35, again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. Now John is going to see to it that things change, that he goes towards having less and less disciples, and Jesus moves towards having more and more disciples. John's going to see to it that people start leaving him. Eventually, he's going to be taking off the scene completely, and there's no one to follow anymore. He's actually going to be killed. But but, um, uh, uh, he's going to see to it uh, that people will stop following him, and they'll start following Jesus, but it's, it's just a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit because he doesn't say, he doesn't say, now, okay, time enough with me. Go follow him. He doesn't say that. It's amazing how God works. We have these ideas of how God works and we manipulate people and, we, uh, and, and things like that to try to get them to do something. John relied, John knew the Holy Spirit and he knew what the Holy Spirit was going to do And he didn't want to get in the way. He didn't want anyone to go to Jesus and then say, you know, I I came to you, Jesus, because that guy told me to. Well, some of you here this morning, you may be here, well, because your mother and father, they told you, you got to be here. Or somebody told told you, you got to be there. But God wants you here with his people, and, and, and Jesus says, where two or more are gathered, I'm in your midst. God, God wants you here because the, the Holy Spirit is moving you here and planting you here. And so what does John do to see to it that his followers leave him and go to Jesus, but not doing it in a way where he's pushing them? That it's clear, it's not him doing it. Last thing I, I tr- do as I grow older and older in ministry is, is, is how can I get out of the way so to be sure that these folks are not doing the stuff, they're not showing up and doing worship, they're not showing up to set up chairs, they're not uh, showing up to do Sunday school because Steve is asking them to do it, but, but, but the Lord is doing it. How do we do that? Well, there's a, there's a good lesson here from John of how he gets people to stop following him and start following Jesus. So we see in verse 36, we see what he says. What does he say in verse 36? It says, verse 35, it says, two, two disciples of John are there standing. So what does he say next? Well, he doesn't say, behold the Son of God. He doesn't say that. Even though he's, he's talked, 
He's introduced Jesus as the Son of God. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, behold, the Messiah. He has said that already, but he doesn't repeat himself. He doesn't say, behold, the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He doesn't say that. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And it was at that point that his disciples left him and followed Jesus. John would never have to look back at those two guys and, go, and say, you know, they, they went to Jesus because I told them, hey man, you gotta, you gotta leave me. You gotta go to that Jesus guy. He'll never have to say that. Because the Holy Spirit sent them there. Why? Why? What was it? Why did John say, behold the Lamb of God? Why didn't he say, John, uh, behold the, the Son of God, behold the Messiah, behold, here's the guy who'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit, wow, and with fire, wow. Why do you say, behold the Lamb of God? What was it about the Lamb of God? Well, verse 29 tells us that. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Sin. That thing that I do where I, when I choose evil over good, sin, uh, which takes my desires, which, uh, which were um, originally made and created by God for something beautiful, and it disfigures them. It perverts them. It, it twists them into something that is ugly. <laughs> sin, that, that, that thing that enslaves my will to addiction, sin, which causes my mind to sink into darkness. Sin, uh, that thing which the Bible says which produces death in me. Sin, the source of all my trouble, all my confusion, all my suffering, all my misery. Sin, which can turn, it turns my world and it can turn my world into a madhouse, a prison house. He can take away my sin. My sin, he can take it away. And it says, they followed him. It says in verse 37, when the two disciples heard him speak, heard who speak? Not Jesus. They heard John the Baptist say, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, uh, sin of the world. When they heard that, they left. They broke away. And they went to Jesus. Sin. Choosing evil over good. Choosing myself to the exclusion of God. It always has to be dealt with first. And people who, 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 who here come to Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire and they will run to the altar in some big fit of emotion. They will leave. <laughs> if they don't also deal with that thing called sin. Sin. When, uh, you know, when, when we have people new to, the, new to the faith, new to the church, many of them have never even heard the word. Why? 
the schools have removed it completely. The press has completely removed this world from the public dialogue. Sin. Choosing me over God. Really simple. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, it's, it's Christmas. A lot of talk about Jesus coming into the world. That's great. But what exactly does Jesus do now that he has come uh, into the world? What exactly does he do for you? A lot. And verses 35 through 51 in this first chapter of John are the first interactions Jesus has with people. And, and we're going to read about what he does. What he does for you. He does for you exactly what he does for them. What happens when we come to Jesus? So I see at least six things if you're taking notes. Six things that Jesus does for you, that he does to these disciples. They come to him, they follow him. Behold the Lamb of God, and they follow Jesus. So what does Jesus do for you? Number one, he takes your sin away. He takes your sin away. He takes it away. And let me tell you, you and I need that to happen before we step from this life into eternity. We need our sin to be taken away. In John chapter 3, John's closing statement, before, after this statement, you never hear from him again in the New Testament. He says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath. What does wrath mean? His, it means anger. It means judgment. Remains on them. God is holy. He is Messiah. He's the judge. He must judge sin. And the Bible says that every day he's angry at sin. And if he wasn't, he wouldn't be God. I was just reading yesterday about what's happened to Aleppo in Syria. The biggest city in Syria has been completely destroyed because after, I'm talking men, women, and children, and after nerve gas is you know, released on them, bombings, trapping people, and... and uh, trapping people and killing them uh, in, in ways that are, are, are cowardly, destroy the city. Anybody who doesn't look at that and get angry, what's the matter with you? And what's the matter with, 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 with having a, a, a belief in a God where God doesn't judge and he doesn't get angry? That's crazy. The Bible says, believe in the Son Believe, last closing statement John the Baptist makes, whoever believes the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's anger, his wrath remains on them. And so, but, but right before that verse is John chapter 
3 verse 16 where Jesus, by now Jesus, talking a lot by John, in John chapter 3. And what does he say? Most famous verse in the Bible, at least for Christians. For God so loved the world, this is Jesus speaking in John 3 16, that he gave his only begotten son, me, Jesus is saying, me, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Perish in what? Their sin. They'll perish in their sin. And, G- and, and, and what John is saying here uh, in John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. And these two guys, John and Andrew, they're Jews. They're good Jewish boys. They know exactly what that means, the Lamb of God that takes away their sin. They, they, they know what it means because they know the Jewish scripture. They know the Old Testament. Tonight we're in the book of Exodus, Exodus uh, chapter 29. And I don't play on this stuff, but it's about the Lamb of God being offered every morning and every night. We're in that tonight. I would love to have you there uh, so we can go over that together. But every morning, every night, a lamb was offered on the altar. It was a foreshadowing of the Lamb of God. Those lambs were the lambs of men. The lambs of men. And, and you know, amazing description of, of the lambs that they offered. Bear with me. Because I love the Old Testament. Because what the Old Testament does, it, 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 it reveals to you so much more about Jesus. And so, in the book of Leviticus, you don't have to turn there. But chapter 22, if you're taking notes, it's verses 21 through 24. It talks about these lambs and what kind of lambs were offered. It talks about them. And remember, the context here, John the Baptist said, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 21 says this, whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar of the Lord, either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may, offer as, you may offer as a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to the Lord what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your lands. Anything that had the slightest defect. And they would take these offerings... A person would take the offering of a lamb and when the priests made the offering, there was an inspection. But the inspection was not of the person bringing the lamb because that's far from perfection. There's defects. There's all kinds of blemishes and scabs and wounds and guilt and all kinds of guilt on them. No, they didn't look at who was offering the lamb. They looked, they inspected the lamb, and it had to be perfect. But these were the lambs 
of men. John says, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb of God. And, 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 and when the Lamb was presented, the priest would put his hand on the head of the Lamb and another priest would take a razor, a knife, and kill it and slit its neck and blood would be poured out. And you know what? That, that sounds crazy and gory, but, but, but the, the thing they had, the benefit they had over us was that, wow, this is what sin does. Now, to be sure, we have a greater illustration today. It's the Lamb of God on the cross where the sin is, and the blood is pouring out. But, but, but the point I'm making here is, is what does Jesus do for you? He takes away your sin, number one. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does he do with your sin? What does he do with it? Psalm 103, uh, verse 12 says this. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah chapter 7 Verse 19, you, this is speaking to the Lord, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what he's done with your sin. The sin you did this morning, the sin you'll do tomorrow, 10 years from now, if you're alive, if Jesus tarries. It's gone, it's removed. The Bible says that he remembers your sin no more. Meaning that doesn't mean that he doesn't know that you did it. He's not going to stick it in your nose and say, hey, sniff this. That's what we do to each other. God doesn't do that. He takes away the sin of the world. So that's number one. When we come to Jesus, what does he do for us? What does he do for you? Number one, he takes away your sin. Number two, he seeks out what is in your heart. That's what he does. He seeks out what is in your heart. Read verse 35 again with me. John chapter 1. Well, actually, let's just go. It says in verse 37, it says, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38 says, Then Jesus turned and seeing them, following said to them what do you seek what do you seek what are you guys seeking why are you guys coming after me what do you have when you come to Jesus what does he do for you he takes away your sin he seeks out that thing which is in your heart let me tell you when you come to Jesus you do need to be ready to do business with God You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't play games with us. Like a first person in my life that doesn't play games with me. Jesus, how awesome is this? But the other side of the coin is what? Anyone? He doesn't let us play games with him. Oh, really? Oh, no. He says, what do you guys seek? Why are you guys really with me? In John chapter 6, he says to the people, I know why you guys are coming after me. You just want a free meal. 
That's what you want. You just want a free meal. <laughs> what do you seek? When you came to church this morning, what were you seeking? Why are you here? I do hope it's more than a free meal. I, I, I hope it's more than getting a vitamin B12 shot from Pastor Steve. You know, if, if you want to know what makes a pastor anxious and discouraged and even de- depressed, it's the thought that people are coming into this service and I'm giving them a vitamin B12 spiritual shot just so they can get back to their job and start earning lots of money so that they can get all kinds of stuff. That's what gets a pastor discouraged. Jesus says, what's in your heart? What are you seeking? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. I'm the one who baptizes by the Spirit, Holy Spirit. I, I take away the sin of the world. I take away your sin if you come to me with a surrendered heart. In John chapter 6, after he said, he actually confronted people, you're just coming to me for a free meal. Most of them turned around and went the other way. What are you seeking? When you come to Jesus, what does he do for you? Number three, he opens your eyes. This he does most certainly. He opens your eyes. So verse 38 says, Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, teacher, where are you staying? It's kind of a goofy answer. I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that's why they were seeking, but this is, the, this is the type of stuff we say when we come to God, and, and he works with it. He'll work with anything. He said, okay, we'll come and see. Verse 39. They came and saw where he was staying and, re- and remained with them that day. That was about the 10th hour. Verse 40, one of them, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. Which is translated, the Christ. What does Jesus do? He opens your eyes. He takes away your sin. He does business with you, so, so, so what are you seeking? What are you after? And then he opens your eyes. These guys followed him, spent the day with him. What happened? This is the Messiah. This is the judge of the world. This is the one that we've been longing for our whole lives. This is the one that the Old Testament prophets found out or or spoke so much about so important that when you're with the Lord and and he you know and you're having a one-on-one time with him and man 
I know we sound like a broken record around here, Deb. You got to have one-on-one time with God every day. But you, but, but you know, you're actually supposed to do something when you're, you're not just supposed to sit there and twiddle your thumbs. Although I found myself doing that from time to time, thinking about anything but God. The Bible says you're supposed to listen to the Lord, but also say we're supposed to speak to the Lord. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. I'm frustrated. I'm really frustrated with life now. Open my eyes. What am I missing? He'll show you. He'll show you. Now, every one of you who is a follower of Jesus, who did the same thing, man, you heard that Jesus takes away sin, and you went to him. And you did business with him. He said, what is it that you're seeking? He got into your heart. And he opened your eyes to something that you never knew about him. Remember what happened to me. I was 22 years old. And I was sitting under an apple tree in Switzerland, way up high in the mountains. And I gave my heart to Jesus. And he opened my eyes. And what, what I saw him as was, was not the Messiah, but the Son of God. And, and, and I realized he wants so much more from me than I have given to him. He's the Son of God. He deserves everything. God, open my eyes. Open my eyes. What is it? Lord, what am I missing about you? He will tell you. So they run back and they say, and, and he goes, Andrew goes to his, his brother and, and says, we have found the Messiah. Th- that, that was a, he didn't figure that out by analyzing Jesus. Jesus spoke to him. And, and, and not only with his words, but just how he, how he, uh, conducted himself and, and he, he, he communicated to him and they were in his presence and they realized wow we are in the presence of the Messiah so he went and he told Peter so when you come to Jesus what does he do for you number one he takes your sin away number two he seeks out what is in your heart number three he opens your eyes number four he gives you a new identity he changes your identity It says in verse 42, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, verse 42. He brought him to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. He changed his name. And this name actually meant something. It, it, it stone. He changed his identity. He gives him a new name. His name is Stone. Now, we'll see Peter take on this identity eventually. But it's going to be years from this time. Peter's not a rock at this time. Peter's as as, as unstable 
as water. You know, when I think of a, um, a rock or a stone, uh, I, I think of a captain in the army, a guy who you can turn to when things get really intense and overwhelming. A rock. That guy's a rock. That guy, a captain in the army, in the Marines or whatever. I, I can go to them. Things are getting incredibly intense. That's not who Peter was. I mean, Peter, at the time of the transfiguration, what happened in the transfiguration? Well, Peter, James, and John went up on a mountain with, with Jesus. This is not too long before Jesus was crucified, but it was a while before, a few months. But it took on there. And on, on the mountain, uh, all of a sudden, Jesus was transfigured. His very... Uh, his visible presence changed to what his uh, visible uh, presence is in heaven. They saw him, how he looks in heaven. And it says his his face and shined like lightning and and so did his clothes. And, And he was with Moses and he was with Elijah. And, and G- Peter, James, and John are, are, are saying, are, are seeing all this. What does Peter say? Hey, Lord, can we make three little houses? One for you and, and one for Elijah and one for Moses? Whoa, that's not a guy that I want to turn to in a time when things get intense. I mean, what are you talking about? This is the living God in front of you. The, the Bible says the whole heavens can't contain this, this man. However, in Acts chapter 2, When the Holy Spirit fell upon this man, he became the very man that Jesus said that he would become a rock. It says that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they began speaking in languages of of foreign tongues and then people said, what's wrong with these guys? Are they drunk? And he gets up and he says, no, they're not drunk. And then he delivers the most, one of the most, talk about intense uh, messages that you'll ever read. He actually points to him and said, you crucified the Messiah. You crucified them. And what did they say? They, they, it says they were cut to the heart. And they say, okay, well, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so, and so he becomes that. And even later on, he, he makes other mistakes. <coughs> the Bible says of you that God give, gave you a name. He changed your identity and that's true. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But he's, he's giving you a new name. It, it says in Revelation 2.17, Jesus speaking to the churches, um, he says, let him, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. You've been given a name, a calling, a new identity. And God is transforming you into it. You know, today you may be as unstable as water. But you keep following Jesus. What does He do for you? Takes away your sin. 
He seeks out what's in your heart. He opens your eyes and he gives you a new identity. When you come to Jesus, what else does he do? Number five. He demands obedience. Let's continue reading. He says to Simon in verse 42, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. That's not a suggestion. Brothers and sisters of Calvary Chapel in the city, obedience is not a nice idea. It is a command by your Lord. We talked last week about misunderstanding grace. Romans 5.8, true. When you were still an enemy of God, when you were shaking your fist against him, when you were making choice after choice after choice after choice opposed to God, choices that any enemy of God would be making, says he died for you. He died for you. That's grace. And then the, it says in Psalm 103, and he, he saved you from destruction and crowned you with everlasting kindness. And so, grace, instead of a punishment, you get a reward. But that doesn't for a second mean that obeying his word, this word, is a nice idea. Oh, grace, grace, grace. I, you know, I know this, I know this is what the Lord is telling me to do. Thank God for grace. No. Obedience is a command. So he demands obedience. And then finally, number six, it's, he lets you know that he knows. He lets you know that he knows. Let's continue reading. It says in verse 44, Now Philip was from Bethsaida in the, uh, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip turned to Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. The son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I know you. I, I saw you. I know you. Verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When you come to Jesus, what does he do for you? He takes your sin away. He seeks out what is in your heart. He opens your eyes. He changes your identity. He demands obedience, and he lets you know that he knows. I tell you, we live in a fallen world. We live in fallen bodies. And there are going to be times in your life, and some of you I know, you've been there already, where you are in such a fog of pain and unbelief and discouragement and fear that you can't think of one good reason 
to continue moving on with God. Jesus knows where you're at. Jesus knows. He knows. I tell you, life can be so isolating. And no one knows the pain. No one knows the sorrow that I'm in. Yes, someone does know. And Jesus will let you know that he knows. He said to Nathaniel, he says, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. The most comforting things imaginable this side of heaven that Jesus knows exactly where you are at. Finally, in verse 50, Jesus says that he answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. You believe because of that? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51, he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, meaning in the future, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And that is a reference to Jacob. When Jacob ran away from his father and his brother, he had lied to them. He had cheated them. He had ripped them off. He's out in the wilderness all by himself. Up to that point, never heard a thing about what Jacob thought of God. He had never talked to God. It, 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 God apparently was no part of his life. He goes to sleep in the middle of the wilderness. Underneath his head was a stone. Things were not looking up for Jacob. And he has a dream. And there's a ladder. And there's angels descending, coming down, and ascending, going up right um, right to him. And, and what, the, what the Lord was telling at the time, I'm really involved. I'm really involved in your life. And so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, wow, you know, and Nathaniel, you believe in me uh, just because uh, I know where you're at. I know who you are. I will tell you, you will see greater things than these. You will see heaven open up and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, meaning you're going to follow me and you are going to see great things. In closing, I want to make a challenge. I want to make a challenge. Notice in verse 35, or rather verse 42, Andrew brings... Peter to Jesus. In verse 46, Philip brings Nathanael to Jesus. Andrew says, it says in verse 42, and he, Andrew, brought Peter to Jesus. Verse 46, Philip said to Nathanael, come and see. So one week today from today is Christmas. Has God opened your eyes to who Jesus is? Don't you want to bring someone to Jesus? Don't you want to do that? If you don't, 
just go and do business with God. He knows. The thing is, he knows. But what I want to do here this morning as we close, if the ushers could get the baskets of the books of John and proceed to the front. Thank you. I'm going to hand out, we're going to hand out a book of John to every single one of you. And I want to challenge you. There's someone in your life, I know there is, at least one person that God has put on your mind. You can just give, uh, give the, um, the, the, uh, the baskets and hand these out, guys. You can just take one. This is not an offering plate where you put in money. You're, you're taking out the word of God. So these little books of John, it's the book that we're in. And there's a little Christmas ribbon over it. Just give it to that one person. I'm gonna be, I have the person in mind myself. Give it to that one person and, and tell them, you know, this is Christmas. There's a lot of stuff going on. Going on. There's, there's parties at work. There's, there's a lot of a booze. The people are drinking. There's, there's parties. There's, people are giving each other's gifts. There's like the Christmas stores. I mean, the stores are just overwhelmed with people. This is what it's about, though. Read this. And uh, my prayer for you, and actually the morning prayer groups during the week have been praying already, that's going to do something. It's going to start something in that person's life where another conversation, some other conversation um, will happen, and that maybe even eventually you can bring him to church. This Sunday is... It's Christmas. This next Sunday, we have, we have Christmas on Sunday morning. You know, the Book of John. I call it uh, in Matthew and Luke. They talk about Jesus, the baby in the manger. But there's a Christmas story according to the Book of John, and it's in the very first book. It says in the beginning, rather, it's in the very first verse of the book. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then verse fourteen. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the Christmas story. And so what you're doing just with the, this, the, this book is you're, you're giving them the Christmas story. Hey, this is the Christmas story. This is what it's all about. You know, I, I got to tell you, at work, I worked for many, many years before going full time. I worked out in the secular world. And Christmas was the best, easiest time of year to tell someone about the Lord. But I t- and, I, and I used to at work, I, 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 the Lord used to tell me, okay, you're going to give your boss a Christmas card or you're going to give the head of your office, your boss's boss's boss, a Christmas card and you are going to write in great detail your own testimony. And every single year I was like, this is the end of my career. I'm, I'm just never going to uh, be promoted. I'm going to be fired. Every year I, I was gripped with fear. And, and by the way, I, at the time, I was already bananas for Jesus. I, I, I mean, I, I, I used to go out every week and tell people, people about Jesus. But man, when it came to the work, oh man. Well, people above me, I, I used to talk with peers, but people above me, ooh, you know, I'd start sweating. It was amazing what happened. The exact opposite. The exact opposite. It just helped me. <laughs> I, 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 it, just, it, it, I, it just helped me, and, and, and the Lord gave me such favor. Now, there will be persecutions, 
And that may be happening to you after you hand out this Bible, whether it's at work or your neighbor your neighbor or whatever. And, and I can tell you, if there's someone in your mind and you're like, oh no, I can't do it. I can't do it to them. It's them. It's them. Just, you, you need to do it. Because that's what the devil does. He just lies. So let's do that. It says, come, he brought him to Jesus. We're going to leave, by the way, those baskets by the door. We got Uh, plenty more if you have more than one person that you want to give. If you have 10, take 10. If you have two, take another one. They're by the door in the baskets. But but let's, let's do that. Let's give people the gift of the gospel this Christmas. Is that a great idea or what? The gift of the gospel. Okay. Worship.